in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, but take not your Holy Spirit from me. That was most of the song that I would sing every time during worship between offering and communion as I was growing up. And I never really asked the question, why? Why do we sing Psalm 51 between offering as a response to the offering, but also as a preparation for coming to the table? And so I was asking myself those questions this week as I was preparing for this sermon, and it occurs to me that this story and this pairing of the story of the anointing of David and Psalm 51, which David writes much later in his life, may give us a clue as to why those who put together our liturgy put that psalm right before we come to the table. So the last that we saw Samuel... He had just heard the word of God for the first time. If you remember Pastor Stanton's sermon from last week, we learn that God's word had been kind of void. There had been no knowing of God's word until Samuel hears God calling in the night. And after Eli says, it's the Lord, um, he listens to what God has to say. And the news is not good for Eli But it is good for Samuel as he becomes a prophet of God. And now here we're at the anointing of David, but David is not the first king that Samuel has anointed. In the chapters that are between the calling of Samuel and in the anointing of David, Samuel becomes a judge over the people of Israel, and the judges were powerful leaders of the people. They didn't have kings, but they had judges that kind of helped keep peace and helped guide the people. And as Samuel gets older, the people begin to panic because Samuel's sons, whom he had appointed as judges, were corrupt and were not good judges at all. So the people come to Samuel and demand a king to rule over them, just like they see in all the nations around them who have a king. But God and Samuel are not really keen on this particular idea because it is God who is their king. But they are rather insistent, and so Samuel and God gives in to their demands. And a man from the tribe of Benjamin is anointed to be king, and his name is Saul. And he is a powerful man, tall, handsome, strong, everything you would think a king needed to be. But what we learn about Saul is that Saul does not necessarily follow God if Saul perceives that it's not in his own best interest. He seeks his own gain. He does things impulsively that he knows he's not supposed to do. And so, as we hear the story of Saul, Samuel removes himself from Saul's service. And in the midst of all of that, we're introduced to Saul's son, Jonathan, who will be a good friend to David. We'll hear more about Saul and the wars that he waged. And then we hear that God regrets making Saul king. 
Samuel and Saul have one more interaction where Samuel calls his actions into account, and then they will not see each other again until Samuel's death in chapter 25. But God has chosen another to be king, and that's where we pick up the story. That's where we hear the reading for today. The story of David, the king after God's own heart. In fact, David is the second most mentioned person in the Bible, next to Jesus. Like his name is everywhere. But what I appreciate about the story of David's anointing is really simple. After choosing a king that was everything the world thought a king should be, God chooses David, the youngest and smallest, the one who was just left to tend the sheep while Samuel, the prophet, the judge, comes to find a new king. And Samuel thought for sure, as he was looking at these seven brothers of David, that it certainly would be one of them that God had chosen. God, however, reminds Samuel that the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so David, the youngest, the smallest, the one not even worthy of being called in to meet the prophet, is anointed to be king. The choosing of David reminds us that God's eyes are not the world's eyes. That in even the seemingly forgotten, God sees value. And not just a little bit of value, but great value. And this shouldn't surprise us, right? I mean, we see this over and over and over again in Scripture. We've heard the stories of Abraham and of Moses I just talked to my confirmation kids about Cain and Abel and how in the midst of all of that, God is there choosing people that seem to not be the brightest and the best. God chooses the people that society has forgotten, and God chooses them to play a key role in the story of God's salvation in this world. Abraham and Sarah, Hannah and Samuel, David, Esther, Mary, the disciples, the women that we read about in the New Testament, the slaves, the Ethiopian eunuch, they're all there for us to read about. And this is the good news for us, ordinary people whom God has seen as people of great value, So much so that God sends God's very self to live among us in person, in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, so that we will know our value through his death and resurrection, through his teaching and his living and his loving. And then those early church leaders, those disciples of Jesus's, they are the ones who continue to push against what even their own church says are those things that leave folks out. Just this morning, Coffee with Pastor Karen was reading the story in Acts where Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and he's not supposed to be in a Gentile's house. And they're asking, well, how, how are we going to be a part of this movement? Cornelius asks. And then we hear from um, the next part of Acts, is Peter going to Jerusalem and being rebuked? 
and then pushing up against the rules of the Jewish faith that say that you must be circumcised. And there's this argument, there's this discussing, this debating about how do we experience and show the expansive love of God? Do we tell people they must become a Jew first and then they can be a follower of Jesus? Turns out they say no to the Gentiles' great relief, I'm sure. But that's what we see over and over and over again in Scripture. It continues then a long tradition of challenging the rules that we humans have put in place and how what society has said so that we make sure that all people know the truth of God, that God invites everyone to the table, that all of humanity is loved and valued and chosen. But let's be real. This is hard for us. In fact, I have a friend who says, this deeply offends me. This deeply offends our modern understanding of what it means to be chosen. Like I was thinking today about all the times I've been chosen. The most recent one, um, our assistant to the bishop, a good friend of mine, chose me to be one of the preachers at her farewell. That felt good especially to be chosen to preach by another preacher who's like an amazing preacher, or being chosen to be a part of a large systems academy in our church, or to be chosen to lead in certain ways. I mean, it feels good, right? You feel kind of special. Hey, look at me. I'm chosen. I'm special. But the reality is that even though we, in our mind, think that to be chosen is to somehow be special, to be set apart, to have done the hard work, right, of being chosen for something, David wasn't special. Mary wasn't special. Paul wasn't special. And yet God chose them to do amazing work to bring about God's kingdom here in this world. And I'm not that special. And I love you all, but you're not that special. Your neighbor is not that special, and yet we are chosen and loved and valued simply because we are. This realization that we are all chosen forces us to a new place when we consider our call to love our neighbor. Because if we are loved and valued and chosen and believe that everybody else in this room is such as well, then instead of approaching our neighbor, whoever that might be, with pity or judgment or anger, we are called to approach them with compassion and love and kindness, which we all know is really hard. Because sometimes we don't want to, right? Because we're human beings and we're chosen. So a bye bye right? I mean, like sometimes we just don't want to. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. That's why the very amazing people that put together our liturgy, that thought through why do we sing these songs? What are we going to put here as we prepare ourselves to come to the table where we receive forgiveness? Is that we would sing the prayer of Psalm 51, the very prayer of David, who is 
the most amazing king in all of Israel's history, and yet so incredibly human. And in his most human moment, when Nathan calls him out for the actions that he has done that causes the death of another person, he prays this prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. And so as we come forward to this table where we receive a clean heart, where we're reminded that God gives us a right spirit, we pray this prayer as well. That's why we sing, to prepare ourselves, to remind ourselves that we're not all that in a bag of chips to be strengthened in our faith so that we can go out to tell everybody else they are all that in a bag of chips, to remind everyone that everyone born is loved by God and that for everyone born there is room at the table of God to preach with strength and conviction this radical and revolutionary truth.